1019 means we got shots fired 4:15 a.m. at the Route 91. Sounded like an automatic firearm. Shots fired from Mandalay Bay. There's many people down. Stage left. We have an active shooter. We have an active shooter. Fuck. We're not going to stop living. We've, we've got to continue. We're not going to let them win. This is a special edition of The Podcastner, the night the lights went out on the strip. Now from Las Vegas, here's Michael Kastner. When I arrived at the Las Vegas airport, I could already feel the solemnity. It's not a word you'd use to describe the wild party town where I've been so many times. I've gone to concerts here, partied with friends, and did some TV projects here. But most importantly, my aunt and her friends live here, which is what brought me to Las Vegas just hours after the massacre. Reality hit home driving up Las Vegas Boulevard right in front of Mandalay Bay, There was a police blockade diverting traffic to the right in the concert field. Tens of country music fans who came here to dance, to laugh, to party, were laying lifeless on the grass. They'd been there all night. This was a massive event. Yes, the most killed and injured in modern times. And the investigators were not rushing anything. The drive to my hotel was eerie. Las Vegas was quiet. Many of the strobing marquees were off, adding to the dull and lifeless vibe of the city. It reminded me of the numbness of New York City right after 9-11. It had happened again. Another mass murder. Bigger and badder than the last one. The shooter was ID'd after he was cornered in his Mandalay Bay suite. Many, but not all, declined to give him the fame or whatever it was he was after by using his name. I won't. The names we need to be remembering are people like middle school special education teacher Sandy Casey of Redondo Beach, California, Chris Roybal of Aurora, Colorado, yes, the same town as the movie theater mass shooting. He had survived combat in Afghanistan, yet his life came to an end at a country music festival. 28-year-old Cameron Robinson worked for the city of Las Vegas. He went to the concert with his boyfriend, who watched Cameron die right before his eyes. And Jack Beaton of Bakersfield, California. He was celebrating his 23rd wedding anniversary. When the shooting started, he draped himself over his wife, Lori, to protect her. He was shot and bleeding badly, but was able to tell Lori that he loved her. She replied, I love you too. I'll see you in heaven. One of my best and closest friends was there. Um, and she did not get injured except for the fact she has bruising on her knees and feet from trying to get away. She has MS and um, she felt like an attack, as you call it, was coming on. So her boyfriend and an EMT helped her get to the, the bleachers off to the side and just as she got there the shooting started. So everybody's scattering and running and her legs are going numb and she can't get out of the way fast enough so a lot of falling a lot of stumbling and then finally her boyfriend picked her up and ran with her this is betsy spiller she's a friend of our family and she tells me that her friend who had ms watched a woman get shot right in front of her she was holding her hand when the woman died 
That's not the only connection Betsy has to this horrible tragedy. Um, another, someone I know from high school, our, our actual um, baseball coach, his sons are both um, Metro officers, and one of the twins was um, shot in the leg, I believe. He's now at home recuperating and fine. Um, my goddaughter's aunt-in-law was shot in the neck and has had a couple surgeries already. Oh, my brother-in-law, Jimmy, actually, he was working the event, but was leaving just as the shooting started. So I'm sure there were more people at my office that knew, like the girl that sits next to me, her sister was there, and they couldn't contact her till sometime midday Monday. So there was a lot of emotional feelings, and, you know, you go from shock to sadness to thank goodness you're okay to somebody has to go to a funeral. It's all mixed, lots of mixed feelings. And that hasn't started yet. The funerals are... No, I don't believe they have. Yeah. You know, that's too soon. I mean, they're still identifying bodies, you know, and... Um, but from be, seeing what I've seen on the news and listening to on the radio all day, the, the outcome of the town, I'm telling you, it's brought everybody together. It was amazing. We had people coming from Phoenix to help. We had people coming from California to help, to just give blood if they could. And um, they've said it on the radio and on the news a few times. The lines to give blood were like six and seven hours long to get in. And they were turning people away because they just didn't have the staff or the ability to take that much blood from people at this time. How would you say, the, from what you've seen, it's only been about, what are we at, 48 hours? Almost. Something yeah. like that. Um, have you noticed a change in, in tourists? Because it was a somber plane coming in. I bet it was. The only thing that, uh, that was something that I recall before, and you only hear it on planes to Vegas, please don't drink your own booze. <laughs> so that, that warning was still there, and we did laugh about it. But it was still somber. Have you noticed um, that with everybody on the street? I haven't been up there yet. Um, they've still got most of that area blocked off stripwise. Um, I have a friend that drives a, a taxi here in town and he's not getting too much activity, you know, last night or today. Yeah. It's not very busy that way. So I guess, yeah, it's pretty mellow, pretty mellow. The car rental people have been saying the exact same thing. That has just been really, really, really slow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I'm hoping that people aren't afraid to come back though, because that's, I mean, I'm selfish. That's our income, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, I don't know. It was just a really bad thing that happened, um, but it's happened in Orlando. Like my cousin texted me and said they're holding a vigil for us local Vegas people in Orlando because we did the same thing for them when the Pulse shootings happened. Right. And um, I have a friend that was in New York at 9-11, and she's having a hard time dealing with this now because she's getting the same feelings that she did at 9-11 what do you do where do you go do I go outside do I stay inside should I go to the next concert should I go to the grocery store you know it's just hard to deal with all around and that's kind of where we are I mean I've lived in I haven't lived in Orlando but I lived in New York uh, terror attacks I've lived in Washington terror attacks London terror attacks yeah. uh, you guys live here I come and see you terror attack and this was a terror attack Absolutely. Um, you, it, is this the new normal God, do I you think not. I hope not this, I think there's idiots in every town and there's stupid people and he was a stupid man and 
Selfish. Very selfish. It's as safe to come here as it is anywhere. Who knows where the next shooting will occur? But believe me, it will occur. Absolutely. You know, we're not do this country isn't doing anything to avoid it. Not then, one thing. Then no. They're not going to prevent it. There's too much money involved. You know, that's what's behind it all. Money is the the thing. Betsy's father, Leighton Spiller, is a longtime resident of Las Vegas. He doesn't think that people will stay away for long. I, you know, I think people may stay away for a short while, but they'll be back. I feel very confident that they'll be back because it's, it's the adult Disneyland. It's fun to be here. And somehow people are able to put horror behind them. Compartmentalize it? it I think they do. But you look at what's going on around the... They still go to Orlando. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still very active there. And, and they'll be active again in Las Vegas. And I think the way the first responders stepped in and did their jobs will show people we're doing the best we could possibly do in this town. This happened on Sunday. Hospitals had just trained on Friday. I believe the police had just gone through a training, which they constantly do anyway. Was there a feeling that um, this paid off? I mean, and I'm not meaning to sound cold about it, but um, the, the training did pay off, and, and people will feel if this strikes, we are prepared. Absolutely. We had to fight a few years ago for Homeland Security money because someone deemed us not as dangerous a place as others. And the, and the local po- politicians all felt, rightfully so, people coming here. There are three or 400,000 people a day, tourists in this town. And a part of that money, that, that, not part of, but that money supplied all this training you're talking about. All of the first responders, fire people, the policemen, uh, one of the doctors from UMC was interviewed, and she stated what you saw going on at that hospital had a lot to do with the conferences and the trainings that she and, and the rest of the hospital staff have, have been to. They somehow got it planted what they needed to do. Sure, it was org- chaos, but organized chaos. You couldn't, the triage was set up immediately. They wound up having too many people, yes. uh, which was awesome because everybody came in from all shifts. And exactly. She, well, in fact, she had to, to drive back. She'd just gotten off and was almost home And when it happened. Her daughter, who's a nurse, was out triaging from the vehicles as they pulled up. You know, the whole staff kicked in. The, all that money spent on training proved itself. Very, very worthwhile. As all these victims started coming in, what was going through her mind? Uh, from the way she worded it, I, you know, it. she didn't speak in those terms. It's just her training kicked in. You do what you have to do. I'm picturing MASH. Oh, yeah. Basically. Absolutely. Oh, right. yes. I have a quote here from one of the nurses from the hospital. And um, she said, I lay here in bed awake trying to make sense of what happened and what I was a part of last night, I can truly not come up with the words to describe the horrific scene that occurred at my hospital. Um, she says, I have not seen, been to work yet, but the report I heard is that we took in 180 patients. 
I believe every single word of that. We are pulling four and five, six people at a time out of trucks and ambulances, taxis, limos, and even Uber rides. We were intubating in hallways. People were losing blood faster than we could pump it in. Family members were collapsing from grief and sheer exhaustion. We were running down the blood-soaked floors with patients while on top of gurneys doing chest compressions. The gentleman holding the folded flag waiting to drape it over the slain metro officer. Why do I share these facts? Why am I making this post? Maybe from a form of decompression, but mainly to express my gratitude for working with truly the best team in Las Vegas. Wow. It's all about the first responders. Yeah. I saw another um, interview where the man said we were running out to get safe, and they were all running in to take care of business. They didn't even hesitate. They were running in to save us. And thank God for them. Thank God for their training. Since I've been here, I think at least three or four people have mentioned the conspiracy theories that are coming out of Vegas. Oh, yeah. Um, that night while my, my friends were texting me, um, look at, look at this, look at this, look at this. Um, they, he was, he was listening to, uh, the police scanners and he said, um, there's another, um, shooter at the New York, New York. There's something happening. There's a, a possible bomb threat at such and such casino. And I don't know if the people, the crazies, all jumped on board with this guy and were calling things in. Um, none of them panned out. We haven't heard of anything else happening except Mandalay Bay and Harvest Fest. I had to ask the Spillers about the conspiracy theory issue because this is my first time seeing it born. I mean, just from the get-go. And it really scared the hell out of me. And I want to tell you why. You'll see statistics that the vast majority of Americans are getting their news from Facebook. Now, we've seen numerous stories after the election about fake news, real fake news, uh, from sources that are not regular sources that you would trust, whatever your trusted source of, of news is. These people were getting their stories in in many cases by fake websites, and as we are hearing uh, with the breaking news um, that came out just uh, last week, that Facebook sold a bunch of ads to to uh, Russian accounts, etc. So this is my first time actually seeing it in force when. Right after this has taken place, I'm in Vegas and I'm talking with various people from various walks of life. And we're not talking about stupid people. We're talking about professionals saying, why do you think you're in the media? Why do you think that the news media is is lying and the police are holding back the information about the uh, second shooter? Uh, and, and I said, I'm sorry, what? Second shooter? What? Yeah, look at this video. This is on Facebook. I mean, you can't fake this. Yes, you can. Uh, And I looked at the video, and what it was, was somebody had taken an iPhone and shot a television set showing a building with reflections in glass, and they they were literally moving it back and forth, and you saw a twinkle, and they said, you know, and and look, the sound matches... 
the uh, the gunshots. And I said, but those aren't gunshots. Look, it's happening in other windows over here too. It's because it's a, it's a reflection. And as far as the sound matching the flicker of the light from this guy is moving the phone, I can do that too in editing. And this person said, oh, so you don't think this is true? And I said, of course not. It's absurd. And, and the police even had to address it. This is the new age that we're in. And this is an atmosphere, and it's coming from our government now, where you're not supposed to trust anything. So conspiracy theories just run rampant to where, again, professional people are coming up going like, why do you think the police are lying? And you you would want them to sit and figure out like why? Well, I would have to ask that too. Why why would pol- the police lie? Why would they cover up a, a another shooter? It would have put themselves in in harm's way. How does that even make sense? I mean, sit and try and use your freaking head. If there was a let's say another shooter on the whatever fourth floor, seventh floor, whatever. Uh, and by the way, apparently from what I gather, the one of the floors they were claiming there was a shooter, they didn't have a clear shot because there were trees and other things in the way. I mean, it's absurd. W- wouldn't you think maybe the people in the room next to that would would uh, have called the police and said, oh, there's somebody shooting next to me? There's a, a remarkable echo especially with the Mandalay Bay, because it's a sort of triangular shape where it's, it's angled. And, you know, there was the sound of echoing going on and on. But to manufacture videos like that, for, for what purpose other than to terrorize people? Who does this? Why do they do it? I think I got my answer and I got it firsthand and it was really disturbing. Shortly after the interview that I did with the Spillers, and and also my aunt, she's going to be coming up here as well. I was in the post office, and there was a guy in front of me. Of course, he couldn't have been behind me. He had to be in front of me. He had about seven or eight packages that were certified, and they required a signature. And you know what that's like in the post office. There's a lot of paperwork, and of course he was in front of me. So I'm, I'm not in a hurry that day. I was particularly pleasant, which, you know, is very rare. And um, I'm watching him, and he is extremely agitated. He's a little bit unkempt, and and he was swearing to himself. He was talking to himself while waiting in line. And then when he gets in line and he's mailing these packages, um, he's very specific uh, about what he wants done with them. He mentions a couple of dresses, uh, dresses uh, which I recognize in Washington, D.C., as more than likely news network uh, bureaus. Uh, one of them, I believe, was NBC. And he said, these are very, very important. They must get to you know these people, and I must have a, a, a return receipt, etc. And it looked to be... Uh, about the size of a, a book manuscript. Perhaps it was a manifesto. He was acting like it was a manifesto. And he, he, was, he was more than odd. He was worrisome. And um, what I do, having been <laughs> uh, as a reporter, you kind of look around and you make sure everything is safe. And yes, I checked. Uh, I was looking uh, at his backside to see if there was any chance that he uh, had a weapon with him. Uh, not that I could tell, but 
it was really off-putting. I go out into the parking lot because the post office, one of the rare times this ever happens, they realized there was a wait and they sent somebody else out. I know, right? When does that ever happen? So I get out in the parking lot before this guy and there sits a car that says 9-11 was an inside job. And on the other side of his bumper sticker or of his uh, bumper was a bumper sticker for Infowars.com. That's right. That lunatic Alex Jones and his conspiratorial website that Donald Trump loves and did interviews with. The same website that was pushing a theory that uh, the Clinton camp was running a, a, a child pedophile ring out of a pizza parlor. And this lunacy prompted some guy to show up with a gun because he said he was investigating this absurd story, which isn't true. And I realized, oh my God, this is the consumer of that lunacy. 9-11 and inside job. Sit and think about that for a second. What does that mean? That means that the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States, George W. Bush and, um, and, and Dick Cheney were involved in the murder of thousands of Americans and were involved in an attack on the Pentagon with a plane and all those lives that were lost in the planes. They were responsible. Sit and think about that. Now, I know there's quite a few people that just desperately, uh, you could use these words, hate Hillary Clinton's guts. And there are liberals who hate George Bush and, uh, and Dick Cheney's guts. But sane people don't believe that. Sane people couldn't fathom such a thing. I don't care what your political persuasion. But that troubled man, and I have no doubt that he's troubled, that was in that post office, that's what he believed. And that kind of crap is pushed by Alex Jones and Infowars.com. And it dawned on me right after we were talking about the conspiracy theories, these absurd videos and things that were just completely manufactured and, and uh, absurd people of this ilk saying, using the term false flag, saying that Sandy Hook, this is what Alex Jones uh, was reported to have said, because God knows I'm not going to watch that crap. I'm smarter and I don't have enough time on my hands to waste my life with that. That Sandy Hook was staged. No children really died. And tell that to the police officers who went and saw those shot up little first graders that were slaughtered. Tell that to all the people who were wounded in Las Vegas and the families of those who were slaughtered, the police officers who went in and saved lives the volunteers who took those who were shot and some people dying as they were taking them to the hospital. What lunatic believes this was a quote-unquote false flag because they're coming, coming to take your guns? I, I don't know what the hell is wrong with our country when we have people who believe this absurdity and they don't care who's hurt when they say what they say, they don't. They couldn't care less. 
it, it makes me scratch my head. The other aspect of this, of course, is now isn't the time to talk about guns. After a terror attack, we talk about it. Now isn't the time to jump to conclusions. We have a president who immediately jumps to conclusions when it's not a white guy who did the crime. That's just a fact. Well, what about, oh, but don't play what aboutism right now. What aboutism has gone through the roof, and, and there were plenty of people that I respect who came out and started playing what about. What about cars? What about, what about you know, these, these terrorists are now using cars. Should we, should we go and ban cars? Well, funny you should mention that. You are required to register a car. You are required to have insurance to drive a car. Yes. Should we ban knives when they go and attack somebody? Somebody with a knife is not going to be able to mow down damn near 60 people, kill them, or, or wound another 500 in, in that time frame. Hell, you don't have that kind of turnout on the battlefield with one guy in that short of period of time using weapons of war. You, you don't. And if you don't know this you know, from listening to me in, uh, in previous podcasts or, or on terrestrial radio, I'm a gun owner. I have a concealed carry permit. I'm not afraid to have a conversation about this because I know what the NRA is. It's no longer the uh, safety gun safety organization that it was when my grandpa was around. It is a lobbying firm uh, for, for gun manufacturers. And 70 plus percent of Americans don't own weapons. I mean, you know, you know, these facts, you've heard them before. So we're being led around by our nose by a very, very small group of Americans. And by the way, that includes me because I am a gun owner. I'm not part of the 70% or so who, who don't own guns, but I'm more than willing to have a conversation about it because, you know, here in the state of Oregon where I live, uh, the very day that this happened, it became illegal for you to text, to, to hold a phone, to hold a phone in your hand. You got very, very hefty fines starting that very day of the shooting. Why? Well, because too many lives were lost, so they decided to regulate it. That very day, they made that a law. But guns, that's something we can't talk about. And then you get the same old argument. Well, you know, you can go ahead and have these laws, but the bad guys are going to ignore them. Well, Jesus, you could say that about any law. You'd say, well, we might as well not have a law that you can't have your phone in your hand because people are going to ignore it and break the law anyway. What kind of logic is that, that we accept that argument? And I would also say to my fellow gun owners, you say it's too soon to talk about Las Vegas? Okay. Let's talk about Sandy Hook. You're not going to say it's too soon, are you? Let's talk about Orlando. Let's talk about Charlottesville. Let's talk about Aurora, Colorado. Let's talk about Columbine. Let's talk about those guys if Las Vegas is too soon because it's not too soon with the others. One of the things that I started thinking about is 
all of this was going on and I started hearing about the number of weapons that this uh, person had in Las Vegas. I think the number keeps going back and forth, but let's say between 25 and 30 or so. And everybody was calling it an arsenal. And I started thinking, wow, I grew up in a house. My grandpa had that many guns and it wasn't really considered an arsenal. He was a collector. He was a trap shooter uh, and he got a lot of awards for it. He was a hunter. He wasn't obsessed about it, didn't think about it all the time, but there were that many guns in his house. So as I mentioned earlier, my aunt lives in Las Vegas and I wanted to ask her about it because at that point, I think it's really worth a discussion. Is it us? Is this not normal? You grew up in a house with that many guns and I was, um, I'm your nephew and so that would be my grandpa who had all of those guns. And for us, that was normal. It wasn't weird. It wasn't uh, an, uh, the term arsenal is being used. And I totally understand it now, especially since we didn't have those mass shootings happening all the time. But, I mean, did you consider that an arsenal? No, we didn't use the word arsenal. We used the words our house because that's what it was. You know, dad's house full of guns no problem but we realize now that we're adults that's a big problem it was it was different but yeah. he also was uh, a target shooter shotgun shotgun rifle yeah and not so much pistol yeah he won all the awards he could win uh to rifles and so he switched to shotguns right as you would yeah as you, as you do and he would hunt all the time as well and that was it there was nothing we, he collected them and there was just it didn't seem like there's anything strange about it again it was the way we lived it was our house and the guns were for the most part locked up so the children couldn't get them but when you grow up in a house where this is the norm you have no desire to fondle guns no i mean i literally even as a curious child um and sometimes i would sleep in the same rooms where the guns were on the racks and i'm laughing at it only because it is as an adult when you look back on it like for instance i am a gun owner and when children are in my house, my nephews and nieces are godsons or my friend's kids, and they just come over, they're not even spending the night, um, everything is locked up. Everything is locked up. It has to be. I mean, that's first and foremost. I don't remember being curious about guns. I do remember just knowing not to touch them. Mm. But when they're around all the time, you you don't have that much of an interest, you know. Yeah, oh, it's sort of like having a, a like, uh, for instance, Grandma had a bookshelves with all these books on them that looked really boring, and I didn't touch those either. No, you don't. Um, I was more concerned with dressing and undressing my baby dolls right. next to the gun rack, but still. But still, that's where you wound up doing it. And yeah. We also recall, too, and, and again, our family has rather uh, dark humor when it comes to this, because when you're raised you know, uh, around certain amounts of this gun weirdness. Um, you, you know, Grandpa packed his own shotgun shells, and one of the things that he would do, and looking back on it, uh, I'm surprised any of us are alive, uh, but he would, 
with this huge canister of gunpowder be loading the shotgun shells with a dangling cigarette. Oh, that was the standard operating That procedure. was Tuesday. Yeah, and that was um, the big cigarette with big ash, oh, long hanging, ash. hanging off of it. Yeah. And I realized now... That was deadly dangerous. You think? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, I, I when I was a little boy, if it was at Christmas and the house was filled with everybody sleeping there, that was the room that I slept in uh, amongst the uh, gunpowder. But apparently I wasn't alone. That was also my uh, uncle. He's I'm named after him. Uh, and when he was a young boy, he slept in that room as well. Yes, he did. Yeah. Well, it was very scary because the the room that was used for the loading of the shotgun shells was actually a closet yes that had been uh, augmented to accommodate a place to sit while you were loading the shells and smoking cigarettes and smoking cigarettes yes, would do. yeah oh when you you're looking back on this and 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 this is one of the things too as i was uh coming into vegas after right after the shooting uh, talking to you on the phone was that um it the, the language being used, and again, I have no problem with any of the language being used by people who are horrified, news people, uh, victims, any of them, when they say there was an arsenal, how can a man get this many guns? Should this be legal? And it, and it is, again, a new world for us to look at it that way, going like, well, I didn't consider uh, my grandpa... Um, unable to, you know, be safe around guns or anything like that. But you really do start wondering, well, because of all the things that are going on now, do we rethink the way we thought about it? I think so, because when you grow up in a house where the smell of gun oil is the norm, that's a bit of a red flag. Now I realize that, but that's the way we grew up. Gun oil, you know, live with it. Since you grew up, and well, and, and me too, as as a grandson, you grew up around this. When you hear people wanting to say, um, maybe that's too many guns for somebody to own, or they should all be registered, or or what have you, and this is something that you live through. Um, what do you think about it when you hear it? I think they should be registered. If you have that many guns, one has to ask why. I mean, it goes a little bit beyond collecting. I mean, if you're an avid target shooter, I suppose that's okay. But I would still look at the amount of weaponry. Okay, everything that we've said about we're introducing you to my grandpa and my aunt's father, avid gun collector, target shooter, did my grandfather have any weapons of war in that house no to my knowledge there were no cannons no bazookas no flamethrowers and no uh automatic or semi-automatic weapons no no grenades no no i don't know did they even have them back then i mean yes there was the m16 in the 60s and all that that, earlier than that too dad failed to bring that home well he he never did and here's the other thing too i mean when people say that they want to have this because it's necessary if they want to go hunting. Could you imagine my grandfather thinking that that's hunting? I mean, he went out there, let's say duck hunting, or he hunted deer. Mm. Could you imagine him going out with something like a like like um, a, an AR 
uh, 15 or what have you shooting animals that way he wouldn't consider that sport oh absolutely not no the the chasing the animal stalking the animal that was all part of what he considered sport you know he and his kind of strange friends yes <laughs> well okay now here's a part of the other stuff too i have to tell a story because you have to find laughter in in the darkness and so um so i want you to tell the story because he he was avid about guns so um the kids didn't particularly like the fact when grandma and grandpa their their mother and father would say let's go out for a sunday drive what did that entail okay we piled into the car whether the children wanted to go or not it was not optional yes um, it was family time. Yeah, yeah. And Dad would have a, a loaded rifle between he and Mom in the front seat. And Dad would stop by the side of the road and wait for little fuzzy groundhogs to appear. Well, I knew when he was going slowly and looking, oh, God, here we go. So he would pull the car over put the uh, rifle out of the car window. Now, there were three babies in the car. That was okay in his mind. And get one of the groundhogs in the sights and pull the trigger. Now, as my grandpa would uh, describe it, and only I am the only living member of the family who can do this now, if he were telling this story, he would say, Wham! Right? Oh, that's yeah. a walk down memory lane. Thank you. You're getting you're getting misty. Oh my God, that was and I it was awful and I would hate it. The smell of his cigarette, the smell of gasoline mingled with the smell of gunpowder. Yeah. And, and then you guys were crying. Yeah, I would cry because he was shooting cute little fuzzy things, and the sound was. On six-year-old ears. Because he was shooting inside a car. Yeah, well, that would kind of reverberate and echo. And so I would begin to cry because it was just too much for little baby ears. And my mother would turn around and roll her eyes and say, Can't we just have a nice Sunday drive? (laughs) (laughs) That's what we got every Sunday. So driving on a Sunday was a little different for our family. It really was. And I used to... They they used to take me out for drives um, when when I was a little boy when when you weren't there and uh, luckily we didn't do that but they did have the windows rolled up and instead of a shotgun or a rifle I was sitting in between um, Grandpa and my mom and both were smokers at oh. the time and so this is like sixty seven or something like that Grandma's sitting in in the back she didn't smoke but um, God knows her lungs were black from secondhand smoke mm-hmm. and my mom and Grandma Empire smoking and I'm coughing and turning blue and my eyes are watering the windows are rolled up and they're and they would just say oh now you stop complaining Mikey <laughs> you're fine yeah, and then mother fine. had on a gallon and a half of joy perfume yeah. so the wafting from the back seat was just as bad as the wafting from the front seat yeah. I'm amazed you have fully developed lungs well, that's still debatable, but and then there was the picture too of my grandfather holding up oh. a, a dead gopher, and I says, "Love groundhog, groundhog. Uh, love means never having to um, cover your ears. Love means never having to cover your ears." Yeah. Oh, because yeah, I put my fingers in my ears, and I'd be instructed, "You don't, you act like a big girl." Well, when you're six, you're not a big girl; you're a little right. baby. <laughs> yeah. And your and your ears were bleeding. Yeah, they were. So. 
if you had it to do all over again with with what you know, you Would I pick better parents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this many guns in a house. Oh no, no. I guess one of the reassuring things now is that this is getting a reaction for people because I believe they say 70-something percent of the country doesn't own a gun, 70 percent. And I think the majority of the people who do own the guns is something like 3 percent. And um, it's uh, and, they, and people considered, well, I guess people thought we were weird then, but I guess people considered that to be very Without unusual. the guns, we were weird, Michael. Oh, there was that too. Um, let me switch gears maybe a little bit more serious as well. You worked in uh, casinos uh, many, many years here, old school casinos back in the the uh, ring-a-ding-ding days of uh, Sammy and Frank and Dino and everything. And you've seen this town demolished. <laughs> that was one of the things about this place. <laughs> they blow crap up. <laughs> they blow, when they're done with the building, they just blow oh, it up. Absolutely imploded and by the time you get up the next morning the new building is halfway erected so you know we we don't grieve our our property loss here no it's just gone five o'clock in the morning boom and including one that's right across from my my uh, aunt's house and so you've seen a lot of the changes this has become more vegas is very much you know weirdly kid friendly which is kind of you know it's more family oriented and stuff like that you've seen the big changes but when I sent you a text because I knew you were sleeping and you woke up and you saw the news. What was your reaction about what's going on in the city? And do you think the city has changed now in in a way that it's going to take a long time to repair itself? Well, right now we're very sad here, but we're also angered by this. And we're not going to put up with that. This is not who we are. And people are absolutely welcome and although this sounds weird it's safe to come here it really is the bad people aren't going to take over our city we're not going to have that and we're not going to run and hide we're vegas we're here we're strong if you're a regular listener of the podcaster you know i like to have kevin carr from fat guys at the movies.com come in and give movie reviews every week and then i thought well you know is it really appropriate we're talking about uh, what took place in vegas etc and then i thought you know how can i come in here and and say you know don't be messed around with don't have your life changed don't run and be scared and you know what by god we have movie reviews normally and things aren't going to change this week either. Let's hit it, orchestra. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. No one can deny that. First up, the biggie, Blade Runner 2049. Every leap of civilization was built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. I think I found him. That's not possible. If this gets out, we've bought ourselves a war. (laughs) Sounds like the news. Um... (laughs) Of course, we have uh, Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling in this. 
Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it's really mo- mostly Ryan Gosling's movie. Harrison Ford's in it, uh, not as big of a role as, uh, you know, obviously in the first one, and he does kind of look like he was just pulled drunk off the couch and thrown into the set. So he's not exactly bringing his A game, but Br- Ryan Gosling's great in the movie, and it, do- it does wrap around his story uh, taking place 30 years after the original uh, in which uh, he's a Blade Runner, and Ryan Gosling is a Blade Runner taking down rogue replicants and is is found uh, searching for a mystery. And I think the most impressive thing about this is being directed by Denny Villeneuve, who did movies like Arrival and uh, Sicario and Prisoners. Uh, he He really pays attention to making this feel like an authentic, uh, a continuation of the first movie. It doesn't feel like it's a, 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 a egomaniacal director doing his own thing. He makes, he, he he works to make the cinematography and the music and the sound and the atmosphere and the feel and the look and the sense of the whole movie. It really is a uh, an authentic sequel to the original with the same level of dense and heady contemplations about life, the universe, and everything, which is what makes the movie so good. And by the way, if you go to my uh, website, michaelkastner.com, I have posted a video from perhaps my favorite junket interview ever with a woman from ITV in Britain, and uh, she was doing an interview with Ford and Gosling, and it's one of the funniest damn things. It's one of those that you should just watch, especially after this crappy, crappy, crappy week that we just went through. Y- you'll, you'll pee yourself. It is that funny. I will get on a fresh pair of Depends and uh, check that one out. Then, definitely. Well, it, it is the weekend. It is time for you to change. Next up, <laughs> The Stray. What in the world? Hang on a second. Who are you? That's Pluto. That's our new stray dog. This isn't working anymore. You working at the studio day and night. What about our dreams? My dream is a happy family we're not doing so well he's trying he really is um can you just give him a break yeah there's so much of that give me a break thing yeah it's a smaller movie it's an independent film Uh, it's directed and written by a guy named mitch davis who used to be an executive at disney and it, it basically tells his story about uh, when he and his family adopted this uh, stray dog named Pluto and the, the impact the dog had on their lives and, and uh, sort of what, what their journey was together. Now, it's, it's hearts in the right place. It really is. It's a little bit corny. Let's, let's face it. It is, it is a little cheesy at times, and it does have some of the trappings of independent films. Uh, but, you know, it's cute enough, and it's, you know, if you want to see a movie that doesn't involve replicants and <laughs> futuristic Blade Runners, uh, this is a, an option in the theaters. We, we need options at this point. All right. As always, Kevin Carr, FatGuysAtTheMovies.com. Thanks so much for being with us. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's special podcaster from Las Vegas. This week's music, courtesy of Ross Budgen and Mattia Capelli. I very, very much appreciate it. I want to go out this week giving the last word to Rachel Spiller. That's Layton's wife and, and Betsy's mom. Because 
she's got that fighting spirit. She's originally from Maine. They're tough cookies, and nothing and nobody is going to stop them. We're not going to stop living. We've, we've got to continue. We're not going to let them win. Yeah. Are you getting fed up seeing this happening around the country, and now it's happened at home, and it's happening to family, friends? It makes me angry. It makes me sad. I wish I knew which buttons to push to make it stop. I think it's time that some of our elected officials decided that they would think about the people instead of the things they're thinking about. Somehow, I was raised to believe that the citizens are what count, and it doesn't seem that way anymore. So I'm hopeful. I, I refuse to give up. I'm, I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do and just hope that nobody shoots me in the process. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm confident when I say this as I always say, until next time.